We have new GDP numbers in the United States from the third quarter. The numbers are extraordinary. 5.2% annualized growth from Q3. These are numbers that it must be somehow terrible for Joe Biden. I'm sure Republicans will figure out a way to explain to us why these excellent GDP growth numbers are terrible for Joe Biden. But I don't really know what the case to be made is yet. Here is a report from CNBC. U.S. GDP grew at a 5.2% rate in the third quarter, even stronger than first indicated. GDP is, as we've discussed before, a measure of all goods and services produced during the three month period. It accelerated at a 5.2% annualized pace. This topped the initial 4.9% reading and is better than the 5% forecast from economists polled by Dow Jones. What was the oranges of this? Well, the upward revision came from increases in non-residential fixed investment that includes structures, equipment and intellectual property, where there was a 1.3% increase after decreasing at previous times. Consumer spending saw a downward revision, so it's not all perfect news. Um, rising 3.6% compared to a 4% estimate. Still, a 3.6% increase in consumer spending is considered very good. Now, let me do a good disclaimer here, because if I don't do it, people will write to me and they'll say, David, when you're reporting on these numbers, you're ignoring the plight of the middle class. You're ignoring that 40% of Americans would have to go into debt to meet an unexpected expense of a few hundred or a thousand dollars. You're ignoring wage stagnation. I'm not ignoring it. This is primarily a political program. And the political reality in the United States dating back decades is that when by these very measures, the economy is doing well, presidents tend to get reelected. It's not a guarantee of anything. It's not a panacea. We still have in the United States extraordinary inequality, lack of access to health care and housing, and in some cases, food all sorts of problems that we need to solve. In fact, this GDP growth, the great majority of the profits that are implicit in that GDP growth go to the disproportionately wealthy and super wealthy. Nothing changes about that. I'm not ignoring that. I'm a social Democrat. I am aware and concerned about all of those realities. The point here, as we are now just over 11 months from a presidential election, is that by just about every important economic metric, this is a pretty good economy. It's not a perfect economy, but we see now that the infrastructure bill of Joe Biden has at least something to do when you look at structures and what is driving up GDP. When you look at the CHIPS Act, when you look at other smaller economic achievements of the Biden administration, they aren't solely responsible for this. Much of this is based on global economic conditions and, and, and business cycles and so many different things. But the argument that Bidenomics is destroying the economy certainly falls flat. Now, on the other hand, we haven't seen the nude pictures of Hunter Biden. So maybe that'll have an impact as well on how people vote in November. And I'm sort of joking when I say that. But the point I continue to come back to is if you really zoom out and you say, OK, forget about Biden being 80. And forget about Trump being a former president who incited a riot and is now running again, but he's facing criminal trials. And what will that do to his campaign ability? 
zoom out, okay, 30,000 foot level. If the economy remains more or less like this, to me, it inspires confidence that the person in the Oval Office who oversaw that is likely to be reelected. Now, I saw a funny comment about this um, that is something along the lines of most Americans don't care about GDP. They care about the prices of the things they need. Well, the great news about that is that inflation was zero in October and it's now down to three point two percent over the last 12 months, right in there with what is considered ideal between two and three percent. So these are truly strong numbers. Trump used to brag about four percent GDP growth. And if you you know, let, let's give Trump a mulligan on on the covid year. Forget about that. In 2017, Trump oversaw 2.3 percent GDP growth. In 2018, Trump oversaw 3 percent. In 2019, he had 2.2 percent. These numbers put us on track for over 5 percent annualized GDP growth with inflation coming down, wages up, a nice stock market and unemployment extraordinarily low. So the question then becomes, where does the right go next? I'm going to show you they go to, oh, no, unemployment is up to three point nine percent. Let's discuss that next. We had a situation before the last unemployment report where you were starting to see right wingers argue that the unemployment rate is too low. Now, I have no interest in dismissing that concern out of hand, although the Republicans saying it are cynically looking for ways to attack the economic record of Joe Biden. You can have a situation in which if the unemployment rate is too low, and there aren't people out of jobs looking for jobs that it can limit the ability of companies to grow because they have nobody to hire. You can make that argument. That's not a crazy argument to make. Republicans are only making it because it's Joe Biden in the White House overseeing a record period of sub 4% unemployment, but it's a legitimate economic question that you could ask. I'm going to play a clip for you now of Guy Reschenthaler. This is a Republican member of Congress attacking Joe Biden because the unemployment rate went up to 3.9%. I thought you guys wanted the unemployment rate to go up. You're part of the contingent that's arguing this labor market has no wiggle room. There's nobody to hire. Companies can't grow. We need slightly higher unemployment. Well, you got it. And now they go after Biden because the unemployment rate went up, by the way, to an extraordinarily historically low number. Listen to this pathetic guy with the economy adding just one thousand five hundred jobs in October. Now, let me I have to, I'm sorry, I have to stop. The economy did not add one thousand five hundred jobs in October. The economy added one hundred and fifty thousand jobs in October. Are his notes wrong? Did his brain glitch? Is he lying? I don't know. But that understand that that number is wrong. The number is 150,000 with the economy adding just 1,500 jobs in October coming in below ex expectations. This is the second worst jobs report of the Biden presidency. See what he did there. It's the second worst jobs report of the Biden presidency, which has seen record job growth. It's sort of like saying every month the jobs report has been really good. But this last one, among a whole bunch of really good jobs reports, was less good. 
It's so dishonest. And these people are such partisan hacks. The unemployment rate rose to 3.9% in October, while the labor <gasps> force participation rate actually declined. That hurts people that are driving to, the, to, to work, driving to construction sites, driving to work shifts at, at diners. It's not hurting the woke, yuppie base that the Democrats represent sitting at home on Zoom all day, uh, having their EVs charging in their garage. There you go. All these woke yuppies with their electric vehicles working from home, blah, 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 blah. These attacks are particularly funny because they're increasingly falling flat. There was a point six months ago where Americans really didn't have a particularly positive view about the economy. And people like me who were just looking at the numbers in a very objective way were saying the numbers don't seem to be entering the brains of some of these people because things are quite frankly looking pretty OK. That tide is starting to turn. And on the economy, the number of Americans who believe the economy is going in the right direction and is doing well is growing and growing. If you want to zoom out from every other what you might call secondary issue when it comes to how people vote, the economy still perception of how the economy is doing remains at the top of the list. And increasingly, Americans understand the economy is doing pretty well. Doesn't mean it's perfect. This particular attack, the unemployment rate went up to 3.9 is coming from people who were arguing just two months ago that the unemployment rate was too low. We need to cool things off. We need a slight uptick in unemployment. Well, we got it. And now they're saying, well, that's actually bad. This is MAGA math. Unemployment under 4% for the longest stretch in 50 years, down from the 6.3% unemployment we had when Joe Biden took over from Donald Trump. Wages are up and they want to say that things are bad. Now, this is not cheerleading and this is not ignoring the plight of so many Americans. There are so many people who can't meet unexpected expenses can't pay their health care bills. That's mostly related to another issue in the country. But but we'll talk about that as well. I don't care who's president. OK, I readily have said the first few years of Trump, the economy was also doing relatively well, not quite as well as it did under Obama, but it was doing relatively well. I have no issue admitting that most of this isn't directly related to what the president does. To some degree, it is infrastructure bill. Chips Act certainly have helped the economy. But Biden is not ultimately primarily responsible for this. But the argument that he would destroy it is falling very flat. It's just numbers and data and numbers and data are a threat to ideology and they are a threat to narrative. And that's why now you've got Guy Reffenstahler saying disaster unemployment up to a still historically low three point nine percent. If you're still trying to think of the perfect holiday gift for your friend or family member, try cannabis. Our sponsor, Ounce of Hope, ships psychoactive THC cannabis products right to your door all over the U.S. It's all federally legal, even if marijuana is not legal in your state. They're giving you 20 percent off for the holidays with the code Pacman. Ounce of Hope has delectable holiday treats with Delta eight and nine THC that will bring you a ton of holiday cheer like brownies, Rice Krispies treats, chocolates, caramels, even honey. They have gummies, beverages, soft gels, oils, topicals and CBD. Unlike other companies that sell these products, Ounce of Hope's process is all in house. They grow the cannabis in their mom and pop indoor farm in Memphis, Tennessee, produce all of the products there, too. You can trust that these are high quality, safe products 
products arriving at your door. And when you give someone ounce of hope as a gift, you can tell them why ounce of hope is such a cool company. Their cannabis plants are fertilized by fish poop from the fish they raise on the farm. The fish poop means it is an aquaponic farm. They do a lot for their community, feeding the homeless in the area, giving to local co-op gardens. Plus, Ounce of Hope supports the work we do at The David Pakman Show, and you can support them. Check out Ounce of Hope at ounceofhope.com. Take advantage of the holiday sale, 20% off everything they offer with the code Pacman. That's O-U-N-C-E of hope.com. Use code Pacman for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you Nerd Wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You might remember that a few years ago the show got hacked and uh, a bunch of money was stolen and we never got it back. But I now have more peace of mind because I'm using Aura. Our sponsor, Aura, is your all in one tool for protecting your online and financial accounts. Aura alerts you anytime your personal information is found on the dark web or data breaches like social security number, login credentials, financial accounts. And you get super fast alerts if a criminal does something like try to open a bank account in your name or take out a credit card in your name. Aura also lets you instantly lock your Experian credit file with a single click to stop unwanted inquiries into your credit history. Aura will monitor your bank accounts, home and auto titles. All of these things really just safeguard you against fraud of all kinds. Aura even protects your phone by letting you block and screen spam calls and texts. And Aura has parental controls for your kids devices. You can restrict apps or manage screen time, set focus time to make sure they're doing homework instead of binging YouTube or whatever the case may be. You can try Aura for free for 14 days at Aura.com slash Pacman. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Three quick announcements here before we move on. Number one, my plan is to stream the Newsom DeSantis debate tonight starting at 815 p.m. Eastern. Fox News may shut me down again. We're going to try to stream it. I hope you will join me. Number two, we are now at one point nine eight eight million YouTube subscribers. We are. Let me do some quick math. Eleven thousand three hundred and eighty three away. Call it twelve thousand. We can do this by Monday. Okay, so if you are not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so. Let's get over that two million number. And then number three, when we get to that two million, we are going to do an absolute blowout membership special to celebrate. These are going to be the lowest rates of the year, especially before rates go up when the new website launches to be notified of the two million subscriber membership special. Just get on my newsletter 
at davidpackman.com. All right. You would think that the freeing of hostages previously held by the terrorist group Hamas would just be a good thing, period. No ifs, ands or buts. Well, it turns out that uh, Trump brown noser and Fox News disinformation specialist Maria Bartiromo couldn't do it. She couldn't just say, hey, you know what? Joe Biden helped get the hostages out and that's a good thing. She comes up with a conspiracy theory about preference for a particular hostage because an Israeli American who was captive's aunt once bought a piece of art made by Hunter Biden. If you can't follow this pond scum trash, it's because that's what it is. Look at Maria Bartiromo, unable to just say, hey, you know what? Nice job. Nice job. Listen to this. And, you know, there's an awful story uh, around the hostage release in, in uh, Israel. Uh, Abigail Moore Idan, one of the many young children released by Hamas over the last three days, the first American toddler released on Sunday. She has dual citizenship, American Israeli. I mean, her story is a travesty. She's an orphan. She watched her parents get murdered by these. I hear I feel a butt coming monsters. Thank God she has been released. But we also but but what is the but Maria? Tell us learn that her family is major donors to President Biden and that <gasps> um, her aunt actually bought Hunter Biden's art. I mean, of course, we want Abigail to get released and to be home with her family. And that we're all we're not sick people praying and thanking God for. But why was she thanking God? What about thanking Biden? Maybe was she the first one because she had this connection to Biden? You know, we're glad she's released, but it's an interesting. We're glad she's released, but a lot of buts here web of what we have been uncovering, both in judiciary oversight. Nothing has been uncovered. Nothing has been uncovered. Actually, I'm going to tell you something else. One of the things that experts in hostage negotiations have been saying since October 7th is we should in general be careful in media reports to talk too much about specific hostages because Hamas monitors this stuff. And there's a story now. I don't want to get the details wrong, but it's a story about two. I believe it's two little boys, redheaded boys who were believed to have been held by by Hamas. There were many stories about them. And now Hamas is pulling this thing where they go, oh, no, we don't know anything. We don't have those boys. We think they were killed by an Israeli airstrike. Must have been. We don't know anything about them. And of course, now we don't know what to believe, because obviously, Hamas is aware that certain hostages get attention and are discussed. And so Maria's idea that in any way, prominence of a particular hostage is likely to generate a better outcome runs completely counter to what hostage negotiation experts actually say, because you're giving Hamas something that maybe they can manipulate or do more with. Now, bigger picture, all told, nearly 100 hostages will have been released. Uh, Maybe already, you know, there's a time difference. Uh, within very soon, we will have about 100 hostages released, thanks in part to the efforts of Joe Biden. The ceasefire is also expected to be extended and Joe Biden putting pressure and warning Israel. Listen, err on the side of the ceasefire and on the extension of of this err on the side of not overplaying your hand in Gaza, etc. 
it's to some degree something that Joe Biden does deserve credit for. But what about one person who bought Hunter Biden's art? These are desperate, sick people. They are weaving conspiracy theories about Hunter Biden, which is their hammer is Hunter Biden. And so everything looks like a nail to them. Oh, something about Joe Biden and China. Hunter Biden. Let's try to hammer that nail in something about hostages being released by Hamas terrorists. Oh, let's try to bring in Hunter Biden. We see it as a nail. Let's take out our hammer. These are sick, disgusting people. And as I've said, I know I've said it many times with Maria Bartiromo. She used to be a good business reporter, and it is truly vile what she has become. And the Republican, I don't even remember who this guy is. This is some congressman just nodding along with her. Yeah, we're uncovering tons of stuff here that's concerning. Truly sick people. Elon Musk suffered a complete and total meltdown yesterday while being interviewed by Andrew Ross Sorkin and started yelling at people in the crowd who might be Twitter advertisers or former Twitter advertisers. F you. F you don't advertise. I've never seen anything like this. This really seems like a guy who's not well. The discussion here at the Deal Book Summit was a very interesting discussion, which was Andrew Ross Sorkin, who I think does good interviews, uh, as good as the interviews Maria Bartiromo used to do 20 years ago, right? He does good interviews with business people. And he brought up this issue of, you know, advertisers are leaving because of this perceived anti Semitic uh, uh, retweet and comment and, and signal boost that you participated in. What do you say to the advertisers? And Elon melts down and starts swearing and saying they can go F themselves. You will notice Andrew Ross Sorkin silent at many moments. I think he was shocked by what Elon Musk was saying. And then you'll see later what a CEO of Twitter now called ex Linda Yaccarino said about this, trying to do damage control. This is a guy who's off his rocker. Look at this. Obviously, you know that there is a public perception that and, and you're clarifying this now. Um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will, that this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob. Iger I hope today. they stop. You hope uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise. No. What do you mean? Here's where Andrew Ross Sorkin starts to get confused. And he's like, wait a second. You you own the company, but you you don't want advertisers. What what are you talking? It's like it, it doesn't even compute for Andrew Ross Sorkin. Don't want them to advertise. No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f- yourself. <laughs> now, I don't know if he was expecting a rousing cheer from the crowd, but everybody is like, what is wrong with this guy? But go f- yourself. <laughs> is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. That's a reference believed to be to Bob Iger, uh, one of the CEOs who has pulled pulled advertising. Well, well, let me ask you then. That's how I feel. Andrew Ross Sorkin here trying to not laugh at how, again, Elon Musk is just destroying Twitter with every statement he makes. Don't advertise. How do you think then about the economics of of X? If if if. If part of the underlying model, at least today, and maybe it needs to shift, maybe the answer is it needs to shift away from advertising. Um, if, if you believe that this is the one part of your business where you will be beholden to those who uh, have this view, what do you do? F-Y. 
GFY, he said. Go F yourself. I, I understand that, but there's a reality, too. <laughs> right? Yes. No, no. I, I mean, Linda no, Yaccarino's right here, and she's got to sell advertising. Absolutely. So, um, no, no, totally. So, so no, no, actually, what, what this advertising boycott is, uh, is, is going to do, it's, it's going to kill the company. Right. The company's boycotting. Tw- now, I don't even, is he saying it'll kill Twitter or it'll kill the company's not advertising? And do you think that the com- I, I, but, And the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company and we will document it in great detail. Oh, so I think what he's saying is if all of these advertisers do bail, it will kill Twitter, but then they'll document that these companies killed Twitter. And then I guess people will be mad or something. But there are those advertisers, I imagine, are going to say they're going to say we didn't kill the company. Oh, yeah. They're going to say tell to tell to Earth. But they're going to say that they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform. Right. Let's that's see, that's and, what and they're going to say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. Earth. Let's see how Mars responds to it. Why not? Right. The United States will be the first nation to land an astronaut on Mars. All right. This is crazy. I mean, the the environment in the room is as bizarre as you can tell how bizarre the environment is in the room. He truly has destroyed the platform. He's blaming everybody else. And this is the funniest part. Linda Linda Yaccarino, the uh, CEO of Twitter, then had to go and do damage control. Here's how she summed up this total meltdown by Elon Musk. She said, quote, Today, Elon Musk gave a wide ranging and candid interview at DealBook 2023. He also offered an apology, an explanation and an explicit point of view about our position, which I guess is go F yourself to the advertisers. Um, It'll be really funny when Bob Iger buys Twitter for two billion after Elon Musk reduces its value by ninety five percent. Uh, I don't know that that will happen, but that's certainly one possible outcome that after totally destroying it, somebody picks it up dirt cheap. This guy is not well. He truly has destroyed the platform. Uh, I I actually every once in a while, like once a week now, I'll just look at Twitter and, and just to see what's going on. There's just nothing. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't people putting good content up, but algorithmically, the stuff that's being promoted is just nonsense. It's nonsense. And he really has taken a platform that was useful and interesting in a lot of ways and made it unusable and apparently unprofitable as well. I want to tell you about an awesome free weekly five minute video series on the economy. It's called Tycos featuring Richard Vague. The Tycos video series is sponsoring our show today. Richard Vague is an economic expert, former secretary of banking and securities for Pennsylvania. I've always thought that Vague was a great voice on macroeconomics, the U.S. economy, government, individual debt, income inequality. Every week, Richard Vague covers economic topics to keep you up to date with the key economic issues of our time, U.S. debt forecasts for the U.S. economy economic challenges facing Europe and China, innovative policy ideas. Richard's the author of the economic bestsellers, A Brief History of Doom, The Case for a Debt Jubilee, and his latest book, which I've talked about before, The Paradox of Debt, really fascinating book about how government deficit spending in the U.S. during the pandemic mostly benefited the top 10 percent. 
Richard Vague is excellent at taking really complicated economic issues, making them accessible to anyone. He does a really great job of this with his five minute video series. It's called Tycos, which you can subscribe to for free at tycosgroup.org slash join. The link is down below. If you're familiar with me and my show, you know that I don't promote crazy supplements, drinkable silver, wacky stuff that right wing shows do. I don't offer miracle cures or anything like that. I promote products that are backed by science and that make sense at the end of the day. That's what our sponsor AG one is. It's really simple. Instead of taking dozens of different vitamins, potentially spending hundreds of dollars on them, what I do is before my morning cappuccino, I have a scoop of AG one in water. Simple. I get the entire day's worth of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. It's in a form that you can absorb and utilize. It tastes good. You can put it in a drink. You can put it in a shake, whatever works for you. Unlike routines that involve all sorts of pills and gummies and the inconvenience and the difficulty of maintaining it, AG one is just foundational nutrition made easy and affordable. I've even gotten some friends and family hooked on AG one because it's just simple. It's simple and more cost effective. Go to drink AG one.com slash Pacman. You'll get five free travel packs of AG one and a year's supply of vitamin D for free. That's drink. A is in Adam. G is in green. The number one dot com slash Pacman to get five free travel packs of AG one and a free year supply of vitamin D. The link is in the podcast notes. Today, we welcome to the program Jake Angeli Chansley, who's a spiritual activist, shamanic practitioner, published author, entrepreneur known to many in our audience, I'm sure, as the Q shaman or QAnon shaman. He was convicted and served some time for his role in the January 6th Trump riots, which I am sure we will also talk about. I really appreciate your time and you being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I think it's more like uh, the deep state setup riots than Trump riots. I don't think Trump had people do that. I think it was more likely that the feds and the crowd and Antifa and BLM were largely responsible and the police throwing tear gas and concussion grenades into a peaceful crowd that probably had something to do with it, too. Well, hold on. Let's let's go through piece by piece because we'll, we we have plenty of time to get to everything if we just do it sequentially. So you, in in court, through your lawyers, as I reviewed the records, to some degree, you made the case that you were there because of Trump. Right. So I'm interested in this conflict between clearly Trump did motivate you to be there, but also you're saying it was Antifa and the FBI. But aren't you evidence that that's not the case, Jake? Well, my previous lawyer misrepresented me uh, in pretty much every single way. Ah, so, you denounced you know, the arguments made by your lawyer. Well, yeah, on a number wow. of different occasions, he said things that I never asked him to say. I never felt duped by Trump, never said that I'm not mentally ill, not bipolar, schizophrenic, you know, delusional or, you know, depressed. None of that's true. OK, so your view as of today, regardless of the argument that was made in court, is that the the events of January 6th were carried out by. Tell me which groups it was again. Well, it's actually, if you look at it objectively, yes. and you look at the setup, 
that was very clearly there from a very early early stage prior to January 6th, what you're going to find is that largely the parties responsible would be people like Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Yogananda Pittman, Mark Milley in the Pentagon, Christopher Wray in the FBI, and people in Antifa and BLM. Uh, how do you know that any of that is true? What evidence do you have, for example, that Nancy Pelosi was involved in what happened that day? Well, because if you look into the testimony of former Capitol Police Chief Sund, he had his emergency powers revoked by Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell prior to the January 6th events. And they had to go, uh, he had to go through them in order to deploy the National Guard. And when he gave the written uh, request for National Guard to be present, they denied it because it would be bad optics and there was lack of evidence. But the evidence was all there. He was just not given the evidence by Yogananda Pittman, by the FBI, and by the Pentagon. And that's according to his own testimony. That's also according to the testimony of former Capitol Police Lieutenant Tarek Johnson. Yeah, I've reviewed their testimony and was not able to, to find that. It's pro- sort of beyond the scope of this interview to, to look at it line by line. I guess big picture, Jake, why do you think that parties that supported Joe Biden would try to interfere with Joe Biden being made president? Why would they do that? It seems counterproductive, doesn't it? Well, the thing is, is what you have to understand is that it was about creating a setup so that a psyop may ensue and the weaponization of the Justice Department, the DOJ, could then be used to go after Trump and his supporters. But that's just a word salad, Jake. It doesn't address the crux of the question, does it? No, it does. It does. And just allow me allow me to address it. So. Because of the events of January 6th, there have been multitudes, thousands of Trump supporters that have been labeled domestic terrorists. Because because they showed up and committed crimes, though, right? Or you're saying they were tricked into doing so. But with respect, David, that's not the same thing as committing acts of domestic terrorism in the way that there has been acts of domestic terrorism committed, say, for two over 200 days all over the country during the 2020 riots by Antifa and BLM, who claimed in their own um, on their own websites that they wanted to overthrow the but American Jake, capital. That's a non sequitur. That's a I have government. to interrupt, Jake. I have to interrupt, Jake, because what you have to understand is imagine that I was accused of attempted murder. It is of no importance whatsoever if a year prior someone else somewhere, someone else somewhere else also tried to kill someone. I can't use that as my defense. And what you're saying is that part of the defense of what the people on January 6th did is your perception of what BLM did a year earlier. That's not that's not a valid defense. No, no. What I'm saying, dude, is this. Okay. what we're talking about here is optics. Okay, and they tried to make me in particular look as bad as humanly possible. They used all sorts of trigger words and trigger images to put a label on me and many other Trump supporters to circumvent our constitutional rights and to basically centralize power and use the levers of power in government to go after their political opponents. Okay, let me ask you a real practical question about that. You're talking about being designated domestic terrorists. I want to be super specific here because I really want to understand your view on this. these cases, cases like yours were federal cases. There is no official designation of domestic terrorism by the U.S. federal government. So who labeled you as such and where? 
the Mockingbird media did all over the news, number one. And number two, are you telling me that when, say, the government is designating play, uh, uh, institutions like, say, the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers as domestic terrorist groups, or anybody for that matter that was flying into D.C. I don't know if you're aware, but anybody that true. flew into D.C. in early January of 2021 is now being followed around by the U.S. Marshals on airplanes. And there are no U.S. Marshals on, on the FAA, uh, on okay. the airplanes all across Jake, the country because of this label. You're, you're doing a lot of whataboutism and changing topics. This isn't let's just try. Hold on, Jake. Hold on. Let, let's let, let's let's conduct this interview in a, in a sensible way. OK. Let's stick with one of the things you said. When we finish with it, we'll go to the next thing. OK, you said that many of the people charged for their alleged involvement on January 6th have been designated as domestic terrorists by the weaponized DOJ. I then said to you, there is no such designation by the US government in the legal proceedings that you're talking about. So what do you mean they were designated domestic terrorists by the weaponized DOJ? You said, well, the Mockingbird media did it. So are you no, ready? Uh, on, hold on, hold you, on, hold no, on. You hold talked on. about me. Let me finish the question. You said who labeled you that? Fine. And that's what I'm saying. Well, the Mockingbird media. You, did. you first said that the weaponized DOJ issued that label. When I told you no such label exists, you said it was actually the media. So no, from a legal no, standpoint, I, no, dude, no you're, one you're, has designated you're mixing you. mixing it up. That's not the case at all. Okay. What it is that I was saying, tell was me that again. what it is that I'm saying is that the DOJ has yeah. labeled numerous Trump supporters that were there on January 6th and some people that weren't even there on January 6th as domestic terrorists. And you labeled can look them how into, and where? And, hold, and I'll, I'll tell you, you can look into the testimony of Stephen Friend, the FBI whistleblower who came forward and was talking about how it is that the FBI is designating these people as domestic terrorists and then handing these cases to FBI field offices all over the country as, instead of treating it like it was one incident on one day at one location. And in this way, they're actually expanding their domestic terrorism uh, investigations all over the country, creating the illusion that there is some sort of domestic terrorism threat from right. white Trump supporters. Listen, it seems as though we're I don't want to spend the whole interview on this. As of two weeks ago, none of the individuals involved in the January 6th riots have been designated as domestic terrorists at the at there is no specific domestic terrorism statute. And none of the individuals that you're referring to have actually been designated in that way by the DOJ that well, people well, have heard on, your well, opinion. Well, hold well, on. But David, people heard about, your opinion. Now they've heard mine. What about the terrorism enhancements that are being placed on their plea deals? Are you telling me that that isn't a classification? It's there just is no such classification. If you no, want to give but, me a specific but, but case, is, Jake, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. These terrorism enhancements on their plea deals. I, I would be glad to look at that and give my opinion. But you made a different claim to start with. That's a different oh, claim altogether. OK, it's just a different claim. It's just not the claim. Let me ask you this. You've said that some of the things said by your lawyer during your trial are not things you agreed with. Fine. Do you acknowledge that you did something wrong on that day and that you are the sole person responsible for that? Yes, I've said that on several occasions. If you do your research, I've accepted responsibility. I've said that I broke the law. I should not have broken the law and I've done my time and you know, I'm out now because I did my time and I had good time and good behavior in prison. Just so you know, there's like a rattle going in the background. I don't know if you hear that. Oh, it just no. stopped. Um, 
Do you blame anyone other than yourself for inducing and trapping or goading you into doing what you did on that day? Not at all. Just plain and simple. You don't blame anybody else. No, I take full responsibility for my actions. Okay. when it comes to some of the views that you have been associated with, I've seen again, and this is from things your lawyer has said. So you tell me if you don't agree that you have distanced yourself from like the QAnon shaman stuff. You're you now you don't consider yourself a follower of QAnon. Like, is that true? Well, QAnon is a label and a straw man created by the Mockingbird Media, and they called me QAnon shaman and have the audacity to say that's what I called myself. So what I'm asking you is just about the views, I, not the label. Well, 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 dude, that really all depends on what you think Q views are. What do okay. you think Q views are? I think the biggest overriding view is that there is a sort of um conspiracy of child abuse and pedophilia that is carried out by so-called elites, the deep state and Democrats, which Donald Trump was chosen by God to become president and then stop. Okay, so I don't necessarily agree with all of that, but if you look into Jeffrey Epstein and what he was doing, if you look into the finders, if you look into the Franklin cover up, if you look into the testimony of Ronald Bernard, if you look into the Barney Frank scandal, if you look into the Michael Aquino military uh, base scandals, if you look into the numerous scandals that are coming out now regarding all these people that debunked Pizzagate and now they're on they're being arrested and charged with child porn charges and child abuse charges, then it's quite clear that there is some sort of an elite sex trafficking pedophilia ring in D.C. in Hollywood. If you look into the testimony of uh, Corey Feldman, if you look into the testimony of a lot of these young people that were groomed in Hollywood and raped at young ages, then it's quite clear that there is some sort of elite child sex trafficking going on. So you do believe that? Well, you don't? No, I've not seen any evidence of that whatsoever. So so I just gave you all of these facts. I just gave you all these things that you can look up. And if you don't look it up, you're not doing your due diligence as a journalist. Well, we can look up. So this is what's called the setting small fires conundrum. Okay, Uh, I have investigated Pizzagate and QAnon to a degree that I think is completely reasonable and have looked at some but not all of the things you just mentioned. The thing that becomes difficult is you are extremely skeptical of accepting any official source for any claim. But at the same time, you argue that if I'm not familiar with every proverbial small fire that you've just set, that certainly what you're saying must be true, even though you're also not citing any sources for these things. It's tough to have a real conversation when when someone does that, you know? Well, look into the government website on the on the finders that this has been declassified. The CIA was trafficking children for satanic ritual abuse, keeping them in cages. They were abducting children off the street. And this was uh, the whistle was blown by. I'll look into that. Okay, I'll look into that. Now now look into the Franklin cover up. That's where um, the rising Republican star Lawrence King was trafficking children out of CPS and forcing them into satanic rituals while they did cocaine and molested children. Okay, look into the Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino in charge of 
psychological warfare and mind control for the army. Look into his scandals on military bases. Listen, we can't possibly do all of these things here. What I will tell you is, but hold on, just as an example, this is we have to do this in a way that makes sense for the audience, Jake. Okay, so if you want to come back, give me the full list of stuff and we can investigate it. The one I've investigated that you mentioned is the Franklin conspiracy. There is essentially no credible evidence that what you just described is going on. It has been investigated deeply. There are there are documents people can find. We can't make this about Franklin conspiracy. You mentioned one I'm familiar with. And what I'm telling you is everything you've said is disputed. And in my opinion, not backed by evidence. Let me get to the second part. You believe a bunch of the first stuff I said. Do you believe Trump was sent by God to solve that problem? I don't necessarily think that that is a accurate portrayal of I think that we're all here on God's will, but I'll say that much. Okay. do you think Trump maybe was sent by God to deal with it? Dude, I think everybody was sent here by God to do something. Okay, but you have no evidence that Trump was sent here specifically to stop the ring of pedophilia you just described. (laughs) No, what kind of evidence would there be? I don't know. I mean, I guess the same kind you're citing for all this other stuff, which is. Oh, none. <laughs> give me a break. David. OK. Hey, um, couple. So you're now running for a, a congressional seat. Um, talk to me about what is the platform? What are you bringing to the table? Why would you be a good member of Congress? Because I'm actually going to represent the American people. The first four things that I'm going to introduce to the House floor is a single bill voting law, an amendment for term limits for congressmen and staff, a criminalization of lobbying, and seven-figure fines, expulsion, and prosecution for insider trading. And believe me, there's a much longer list to go along with that, but those are the first four things I intend to do. Do you think that your criminal past is going to be useful or maybe hurtful in this campaign? Well, the fact of the matter is I don't have a criminal past. I have one felony for which that is the only crime I've ever committed in my life. And no, I don't think it's going to be a hindrance whatsoever. Why not? Don't don't you think that it's something that may make people say, well, hold on a second. Is this is this the sort of person we want representing us? Well, you know, considering that all the people that are, quote unquote, representing the American people right now are probably criminals themselves with considering all the insider trading and all the cocaine and orgies that then all the hookers that they hire, then, right. you know, I probably don't see that that is going to be a problem at all. All right. Well, we're going to follow it with interest. A couple of other things I want to talk about, you know, uh, I, I don't want to simply and flippantly ascribe the label conspiracy theorist to you because it can sometimes be a label that just stops conversation and I want to have a conversation. But I do want to ask you about some other beliefs and see sort of like what is the network of beliefs? You've talked to us a little bit about QAnon. Do it has been said by prosecutors that you believe you are an alien or a higher being of some kind. Is that true? Is that a belief you hold? As a shamanic practitioner, I have a hyperdimensional consciousness that stretches far beyond the bounds of my physical body. So that's a yes, it sounds like. Um, well, do you know what a bodhisattva is? I uh, generally speaking, yeah, sort of okay, a spiritual so, figure of sorts that people may follow. Yeah, well, kind of. It's it's a spiritual being that attends a certain level of enlightenment, but reincarnates over and over again consciously until the all of humanity is enlightened and brought into an ascended level of consciousness. I am a bodhisattva. All right. So it sounds like you do believe you are a higher being of sorts. Well, 
I think we all have the capacity to be quote unquote higher beings. I think we all are higher beings. Um, I'm just more conscious of it than others. Fair. When it comes to vaccination, I read and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were discharged from the military for refusing an anthrax vaccination. I'm curious, are you assuming that's true? And you'll tell me if it's not. Are you against all vaccines or only certain ones? Well, what I'm against is trusting people that have openly espoused their eugenic beliefs to manufacture vaccines for the mass populations of the planet. And considering the Rockefeller family and considering people like Bill Gates, who are behind a lot of these vaccines, are admitted eugenicists, I don't trust them one little bit at all uh, to give me or anybody a vaccine. So it's not that you reject the science of vaccination as a principle, the inoculation. You just don't like who's making the vaccines because you believe that they have genocidal goals. Um, The principle behind vaccines is sound for the most part. However, the um, the ingredients that are being put in modern vaccines by these eugenicist owned companies are detrimental to human health. Like what what ingredient? Oh, things like, you know, formaldehyde, things like dead fetal tissue, things like, you know, mercury based compounds that penetrate the blood brain barrier, uh, all sorts of stuff that's in there. Preservatives for the microbiological life forms. There's all sorts of stuff in these vaccines. Just look at the list and look at the ingredients. But you know in that, I mean, again, vaccines. Jacob, we can't do every single one of these, but like the dead fetal tissue in vaccines, you know that that's not true. There were stem cell lines obtained uh, from fetal tissue used to research and develop the vaccines. But you're suggesting like they're injecting a piece of a dead baby into everybody. That's crazy. You've got to see that that's crazy. No, no. You see, you're clearly not doing your research, but that's OK. I'm not I've researched. You Tell me where I'm wrong. Debate you, debate you on it right now. Which I'm sorry, you said you, you're not equipped to debate me on that right now. No, no. What I'm saying is that because of our time constraints, dude, I'll yeah. argue into the ninth hour. But, you know, our time constraints won't allow it. But what you're to be clear, I'm saying pieces of dead babies are not an ingredient in the vaccines. You're saying that they are. No, what I'm saying is dead fetal tissue. Yes. As in cells from dead babies. Tissue. Right. Okay, it's are it's used, part of a dead baby. Used, yeah. And that and dude, that and that also goes into our food. That goes into our food as well. So it's like don't you know, you don't don't you can't deny it. The science is there. This is what these pharmaceutical companies do. Okay. Uh, I think it can be denied on the basis that there's there's no evidence for it, but it sounds like we're not necessarily Yeah, that's agree. what they say about the election too. <laughs> right. You no, know, I think Joe Biden won. That's true. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Hey, in the limited time we have left, um, do you regret what you did on January 6th? Aside from I know you've said, you know, you, you've already talked a little bit about it and you said you're responsible, et cetera. Would everybody have been better off, including you, if you had just never gone on that day? Um, I think everybody in the country would be better off if the government didn't set things up the way that they did, um, do but I did have they regrets? set you up to go? Because you've taken responsibility. You went because you wanted to go. So why is it if that they, now you blame the government? I know what I'm saying, dude, is that it was a setup on behalf of the deep state. If they allowed the National Guard to be there, it never would have happened. OK. And n- regarding my n- this notion of regrets, 
I don't regret anything in life, even though I've made several mistakes, because regret is far too heavy a burden to hmm. carry forward into the future. You know, you can either make a mistake and not learn from it, or you can make a mistake and learn from it. And then at that point, it's not a mistake, it's a lesson. And I've learned many lessons throughout my life, and I am better for it. Are there any lessons you learned from being there on January 6th that are about you rather than about like, I know you could very easily say, well, I learned how powerful the deep state is. Okay, that's a dead end for our conversation. Are there any lessons about you that you learned from having been there that day? Yeah. And what lesson is that? That I'm far stronger than I could have possibly imagined. And God is guiding me in every single footstep I take. All right. Uh, I think that that is a good note to end our interview on. We've been speaking with Jake Angeli Chansley, who is not only a spiritual activist, but also now running for Congress. Jake, I appreciate your time. We don't have to agree on everything for the conversation to be useful. And we're going to be following your campaign very closely. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. 30 million trees are destroyed every year for toilet paper in the U.S. alone. So toilet paper is a big contributor to deforestation and climate change. Our sponsor, Real Paper, makes toilet paper from bamboo. Bamboo plants keep growing, which means no deforestation. Bamboo also absorbs five times as much carbon from the atmosphere as pine trees. And bamboo toilet paper is stronger than regular toilet paper and even softer. So bamboo toilet paper is all around a win for you and for the environment. It's time to move on from that toilet paper from trees that you're using at home. When you use real paper, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing anything. It's soft and fluffy and they'll ship it to your door in plastic free packaging on a schedule. Super easy. With every box of real paper you buy, they are funding reforestation efforts across the country through their partnership with One Tree Planted. So unlike the toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is helping to actively plant them. Go to realpaper.com slash Pacman and use code Pacman for 30 percent off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L paper dot com slash Pacman. And then use code Pacman. The info is in the podcast notes. If you live in the United States, did you know that anyone can access your most private information using people search sites? These are sites populated with information from data brokers. They have access to your social security number, login credentials, addresses, location, history, even your online activity. That is not information about yourself that you want floating around. And the solution is our sponsor Incogni. With just a couple of clicks, you can grant Incogni permission to go to work for you. They contact the data brokers on your behalf. They say remove this person's data and they ensure that your private data will stay private. Incogni will also handle disputes on your behalf, keeps you updated on progress every step of the way. They tell you how many data search sites They've gotten your information removed from which ones they're working on and other information. So this can protect you from identity theft. It can keep entities from looking up your information like insurance companies, financial institutions, your employer. It can cut down on spam and telemarketing calls. And the first hundred people to use the code Pacman 
get 60% off when you go to incogni.com slash Pacman. That's I N C O G N I.com slash Pacman, which gives you 60% off. The link is in the podcast notes. For all the fear mongering and panic about 2024 polling Joe Biden, Donald Trump, we have a new poll, a quality poll from Morning Consult, which shows that Joe Biden has opened up a lead within the margin of error, admittedly, over Donald Trump. This story is less about the particulars of this poll, although we will look at the poll, but more about the approach that I think we need to have. And in general, it would be more useful for media to have about polling uh, relative to the way that it is all being discussed. So here is the new poll. This is a morning consult poll tracking the 2024 presidential election among all voters. Biden, 43, Trump, 42. Now, very important here. Uh, 11% say they will be voting for someone else. And then 5% say they don't yet know who they will be voting for. The entire election, as we are 11 months out, could potentially rest on that 16% that's in the middle, 11 and 5, 16% total. Now, among some other groups, I do think it's interesting to see 84% of Democrats say they plan to vote for Joe Biden. Um, it looks like uh, 11% are either planning on voting for someone else or don't know. Among independents, Trump is plus four. And among Republicans, Trump has 86% of the vote. Also, potentially a sign of trouble 83% of those who voted for Biden last time say they will vote Biden again, whereas 86% of those who voted Trump last time say they will vote for Trump again. So if you want to have the most concerning possible, uh, interpretation of this, it would be it's going to be close, but it's looking like Republicans are leaning towards Trump a little more than Democrats are leaning towards Biden. And Biden's voters from 2020 are not leaning towards him quite as much as those who voted for Trump in 2020 are leaning. I'm going to be super honest with you. I struggle to look at this and to be super, super worried. And I'll tell you why. Historically, when the economy is solid by the metrics we all now are familiar with, the incumbent president gets reelected when Trump officially becomes the nominee. He's not even officially the nominee yet. He almost certainly will be when Trump officially becomes the nominee. I expect that a ton of the Biden voters who aren't sure what they'll do in 2024 are going to say, oh, no, 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 we're not going back to Trump and they will become solid Biden voters. I expect that many independents, 20 percent of whom right now say they're voting for someone else and 11 percent don't know if just a few percent of those once Trump becomes the nominee, say not again, not under my watch, they are going to vote for Joe Biden. That basically wraps the election. Now, that's the most optimistic case. The most pessimistic case is that voters worried that Biden's not doing enough good things and that Biden's too old are actually going to leak. They're going to hemorrhage away from Joe Biden and Joe Biden's going to get absolutely crushed in 2024. It's just really hard to say that and seriously believe it based on everything that we're saying right now. If you look at an average of polls right now, remember, not every poll has Trump or Biden winning. It's a mix. The real, real clear politics average right now is Trump plus one point nine. One of the really interesting things is and I should have pulled the data for us. If you look at polling, today's November 30th. 
If you go back and you look at previous elections, you look at polling on November 30th of the year before the election, and you look at the eventual real results, frequently the real results vary from what the polling said on this day by two, three, four, five, sometimes even six or seven points. If you look at the last 10 presidential elections. So even historically, you often have the results swinging from polling on this day by a handful of points. So this is not about polling is wrong. This is not about polling can't be trusted. It's about what does polling at this point before we even have an official Republican nominee tell us about what will be taking place 11 months from now. Now, I do think that it's extraordinarily important that we don't deny that in many of the polls, Trump really is winning. It's not, oh, just dismiss any poll Trump's winning in. I'm not taking that view. My view is, yes, Trump is absolutely winning by a little bit in a bunch of polls in just about all of them. 15 percent of the electorate is saying they either don't know who they're going to vote for or they're going to vote for someone else. A lot of the people saying they're going third party when they see how close it's going to be, I believe are going to do the right thing. And they're going to say, I can't vote in a way that might help Trump become president. People who aren't sure if they're going to vote at all, I believe are going to get off the sidelines. But that's not to say the polls today aren't accurate. They're just a reflection of the stage at which we find ourselves. We should be more specific also and, and, and say what isn't yet baked into the polling. Well, a continued strong economy isn't baked into the polling. That's good for Joe Biden. How are Trump's criminal trials and the impact that they will have on the electorate? How when will we know that? Well, we're not going to know that until the criminal trials start. Once voters see Trump schlepping between criminal trials while trying to run a campaign, his hardcore supporters will stick with him. But many of these independents may bail. Uh, either candidate dying is not baked in, you know, for all the talk about these being old candidates. Statistically, there is a greater chance that one of them will die than if they were 45 years old. That would be a dramatic change. We don't know how motivating to the left it will be to see Trump officially become the nominee. So the polls should give us a sense that nothing should be considered a foregone conclusion. Every single one of us needs to vote rather than sit on the sidelines. And beyond that, it's about continuing to watch how events in the real world shape the polling. Am I worried? Of course, to some degree, I'm worried that an absolute uh, uh, dictatorial authoritarian will be back in office and completely unrestrained for four more years. That's a real concern to me. Do I think that this is a red alert scenario where it's obvious Biden's going to lose? I don't. I just don't. And um, uh, we'll keep following the data. This is super interesting. The Trump cognitive decline story has gone fully mainstream. This is a segment from The View yesterday. They had a seven minute segment on The View about how Trump's brain seems to be failing. For a while, this was here's a couple of neurologists and psychiatrists who are weighing in on independent shows about what they think is going on. Here's, you know, overt political actors making claims about Trump's brain. The story has now gone completely mainstream into corporate media. This is from The View. Really interesting segment. Check this out. You know, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people are wondering if you know who is a couple of steps 
slower on the campaign trail. After a string of, how shall I say, mm, mental lapses. Okay. Being confused about who actually is currently serving as president right now. He's saying he's doing it on purpose, but we would like you all to judge for yourselves. Right. Please show the clip. They're leading by a lot, including Obama. It was, I'll tell you what, you take a look at Obama and take a look at some of the things that he's done. The worst president in the history of our country who is cognitively impaired. We would be in World War II very quickly if we're going to be relying on this man. It's all coming through Iran and Obama wants to, he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, you mean President Biden. So, uh... Uh, but right no, now, I also mean Obama. What do you mean? I mean Obama and Biden, but I, I, Obama is Biden's boss, in case you didn't really know that. A very big hello to a place where we've done very well, Sioux Falls. Thank you very much, Sioux Falls. And- <laughs> so, Sioux City, let me ask you. That last one really offends me. <laughs> mm-hmm. an Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, this is not new. I mean, we remember at one point he talked about Frederick Douglass still being alive. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it's a little, I mean, what's happening? Is it, is it he's doing this on purpose or is he just, you know, mixed up? Well, I'm going to go to the expert because I don't. I I can't tell. I just want to give a shout out to my pr- producer who wrote, "Is Trump Delulu?" as the, the subject line for this. Listen, he has lost his speed on his fastball or whatever botched baseball metaphor. You can watch him. He is not as sharp as he was in 2016, and many of us would argue he wasn't even that sharp then. Um, you see a real decline in him. It, it is a fact that he get, that you can't get past. But what is remarkable to me is this: our country is so polarized that. Trump supporters see that, and they don't think a thing about it. It doesn't really affect them. He's my tough guy. He's my fighter. But they see any gaffe of Joe Biden's, and Joe Biden is aging. He's too old. And it's it's this sort of Rorschach test of where the country is. This was stunning to me. There's a CNN poll, and granted, we don't trust all the polls, but from November that said 53% of Americans believe Trump had the stamina and sharpness compared to only 25 for Joe Biden. There were only three and a half years apart. Um, and one I rides saw, a bike and one eats cheeseburgers. Well, th- and listen, I think that there is, I think that you guys know my take that I think I'd like to see younger generations running anyway. I'd like to see somebody other than this head-to-head matchup that seven and ten Americans don't watch. But if you're going to call out one for the gaffes, Joe Biden's had plenty of them, you got to call out Trump, too. There's no strategy there. He's just slowing down. I, I think he's slowing down. Um, his doctor, who is, is not a medical doctor, but a DO, a doctor of osteopathic, now, a lot of people are upset with Sonny Hostin for doing this D.O. osteopathic. I, I, for me, it's not about that. The, 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 peop, the doctors that put out statements about Trump that make no sense are not doing it because they're D.O.s rather than M.D.s. They're, they're doing it because it's this is what Trump expects. Trump expects glowing letters about things that make no sense. Medicine, there is a difference between the two. Uh, said that he is in great shape, right? Wow. Is this the lady that... <laughs> I think no, it's a man. It's a guy. It's a guy. Oh, okay. um, his name <laughs> is uh, Dr. Bruce Aaronwald, okay. DO. Okay. Um, he also said, but he did not include the following information his height, his weight, 
his cholesterol level which he or his lied blood about pressure, in his mugshot. Which he lied about <laughs> yeah. in his mugshot. And so I, I agree, we're seeing a cognitive decline, but we're also seeing some dog whistles from him. The reason, when he makes these cognitive mistakes, because mm -hmm. they're, they're indicia of, of so cognitive decline. you think decline. they're purposeful? Well, I think he's mixing them all in. Mm -hmm. I think he's having the cognitive decline, and then when he catches himself making mistakes, he says, well, you know, because Obama is really Biden's boss. That yeah. So listen, I think that I, I don't like a lot of what Sonny Hostin says in general, but I do think that her assessment is right, which is it's a combination of things here. Trump is having these cognitive glitches and some of them he's explaining away as actually being indicative of Trump's deeper meaning. When I mess up and say Obama's president, what I mean is Obama's actually controlling Biden uh, and there's no actual evidence of that. I mean, the guy talked about golden showers at a rally that was held in a high school gymnasium. If you can think of anything more absurd and ridiculous, indicative of not knowing what's appropriate and what's not, it, it, it would be that. And many other of these examples. The story for me is the Trump cognitive decline story, which has been so obvious to so many of us for so long. It's going mainstream. It's made it onto the view. And my guess is it's only going to grow from here. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here's a caller saying the food in red states is bad. This is becoming a big thing among the audience. Let's take a listen. David, David from Oklahoma, just piggybacking off of the, your take on the guy's latest gas stove rant, whatever yep. right wing show that was. Uh, I live in Oklahoma and the number one complaint that I've had from the beginning is the food is just garbage. Mm. It's garbage. I came from New Mexico uh, where we have green chili, red chili, Christmas dishes, uh, and the food here was just so terrible. I have to make my own salsa. I have to make my <laughs> own uh, enchiladas, etc. So I definitely feel uh, I feel you there. That was a completely inaccurate statement. So listen, there's like a funny cultural thing here, but there's also a really sad socioeconomic reality. All right. So I think it is undeniable. You know, you, you look at where are all of the better Zagat and Michelin rated restaurants? And it's either in blue states or in you know the blue cities within those states. If you look at food culture, this isn't a referendum on food culture. I think you know you can make a case there's great barbecue in in red states and so on and so forth. But I think it is not really a question that food culture is better. And I know better is so subjective a term when you're talking about food. Maybe I like frozen dinners or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I want to kind of be careful, but I do think that there is something to the food culture globally tends to be in the urban areas in general and in more cosmopolitan areas, and they tend to be blue areas. OK, fine. So cultural stuff. There's also a reality about food deserts. And one of the really tragic things that happens in a lot of rural areas, red states, et cetera. And I've seen it. I've, I've seen it in uh, I've seen it in Indiana. I've seen it in parts of Florida. I've seen it in Ohio. I've seen it in Wisconsin. I've seen it. You know, even there are parts of California when you get away from the coast, it gets pretty red and rural and, and right wingy. Um, you really you, you don't have choices. The grocery stores are terrible. Um, oftentimes there's no grocery store for miles and miles and you end up kind of at like a corner store, which often has no produce, no fresh food, just has processed food products. 
the restaurants are few and far between, but it's stuff like, you know, Chili's and 99 and, and places like that. That's a real socioeconomic thing. And that's less about the culture. That's uh, that that's about many more things. It's about infrastructure and, and so many other things. So I have no interest in attacking the food of red states if they like it. Listen, when I went to Texas in Austin, I had great food. Of course, Austin is the blue place in Texas, right? Uh, when I went to Pensacola, Florida, I had very good food, but it, OK, it does, doesn't have to be about that. It becomes kind of ad hominem and oh, that's elitist and all these different things. Let's deal with the food desert stuff. Let's deal with 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 all of that. Uh, and that's a real issue on the bonus show today. We will talk about the death of Henry Kissinger, much awaited by many people. We will talk about the Koch brothers endorsing Nikki Haley. We will talk about a new study finding most women just don't want to date Trump voters. And this is going to maybe be a problem for those already struggling with incel ism. All of these stories and more on today's bonus show. Don't miss it. It's going to be a good one.